Welcome to Scrubcast, where we explore clinical, translational, and health services research from Stanford University's Department of Surgery through conversations with the authors. I'm your host, Rachel Baker. Our guest on this episode is Dr. Talha Rafiki. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, it's, it's great being here with you. And it's great having you here. You spent the last year in our pediatric surgery lab and recently published a piece in the Journal of Pediatric Surgery on a protocol for pilonidal disease. Pilonidal isn't really considered glamorous. How did you get interested in the topic? Um, so, yeah, like you said, pilonidal disease is not glamorous by any means. Uh, furthermore, it's actually quite a nuisance to treat um, because it has very high recurrence rates, up to like 30% in the literature. And also in clinical practice, you see a lot of these coming back. So uh, just briefly, the thing about pilonidal disease is basically it's, um, it's like an abscess cavity or a bunch of sinuses or cysts that form above the gluteal region where some people are hairy and that can kind of cause anitis for inflammation. Until that hair is taken care of, uh, even if the patient is treated, they have a high risk of, of the infection coming back. So as you can imagine, treating this is quite bothersome in the clinical setting. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that Dr. Chu does his research on, and I worked with him in the lab um, on other projects as well, but he studies pilonidal disease and basically the division of pediatric surgery at Stanford has come up with a protocol to treat the disease, which involves laser hair removal along with minimal surgery. And we've seen, uh, we've seen pretty promising results with low recurrence rates. So I thought that was interesting after Dr. Chu introduced that project to me. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, it's not glamorous at all, but it is something that really bothers patients and affects their quality of life. So I took an interest in it to see if we could come up with a way to help these patients. Oh, that's really awesome. Um, it took me a minute to realize when I first read this paper that this wasn't a new protocol that it was replacing an older model, but that there wasn't an older model. Uh, how do you go about creating a protocol from scratch? Yeah, so there isn't really a defined model of treatment for this. Mm -hmm. A lot of things in the past were from trial and error. You know, there's surgical options like the caridacus flap or wide excision where you take out all of the disease Sometimes you leave it open. Sometimes you do kind of a plastic surgical closure. You know, you close it off of midline, though, to decrease the chance of recurrence. So these are all the things that people used to do. Um, and people are actually still doing. We see, it, uh, we see it a lot in Las Vegas. And for some patients, it works well. But in the context of pediatric patients, these are kids who usually are in their teens. They don't have a very high tolerance to pain. And of course, like growing up, if you have this thing that keeps flaring up and affecting your school life and everything, it can be pretty dramatic. Mm. So in that context, we aim to come up with a protocol that provided a few different things, uh, one of which was minimal treatment. Mm -hmm. And as you can see in the paper, what we do is the Gips procedure, which basically involves uh, taking out only the diseased pits. And then we also combine it with one of the foundational tenets of treatment for pilonidal disease, which is uh, control of hair growth in that region. Mm -hmm. So the way we do it at Stanford, again, is through laser hair removal, and we aim to achieve hair loss. And 
And we hypothesized that if we had a protocol that incorporated these two things, mm -hmm. uh, which is minimal surgery, you get rid of the disease, as well as uh, religious hair removal, that we would have uh, decreased recurrence rates and we would also have a more well-defined protocol to follow. And you showed some really promising results with improved outcomes seen across surgeons and hospitals. Yeah, so about those outcomes, um, we, you know, Stanford has like a network of many hospitals. So we looked at patients that we treated across five of these hospitals and whatever surgeon was part of this protocol or did surgery in the defined way was included. So we compared outcomes across different hospitals. And this included uh, across academic settings versus private hospitals versus county hospitals. And then we also compared uh, results among surgeons. And we found that between the hospitals and between the, uh, between the surgeons, there was no significant difference. But, mm -hmm. And overall, the recurrence rate was 8%, which is a dramatic change from what we see in the literature. That's great. Where do you go from here? Now, as far as next steps go... Uh, we need to find out a way to adopt this protocol at other institutions. Of course, you know, this paper and this project was just to show that it could be done, mm -hmm. that we could combine these two things and achieve low recurrence rates. The challenge, I think, would be applying this to other centers, just because from talking to people at conferences uh, where I've presented this, one of the main barriers to adopting something like this becomes insurance coverage of laser treatments. Uh, now, yeah, so a lot of people at other hospitals that I've talked to ever since we've embarked on this research, mm -hmm. they were somewhat skeptical that they would be able to uh, apply this sort of protocol at their own centers, and that's the main reason why. Um, but, you know, th there are ways to get insurance to cover it, um, which, which we'll detail in further research. Great. I look forward to it. Now, I suppose simultaneously to conducting this research, you were also doing some cancer research. Um, your abstract use of, I'm going to butcher this, whatever. was selected in the pediatric surgery category for an excellence in research award from the American College of Surgeons, which is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I have to be honest, though, I have no idea what any of those syllables meant. Okay, so um, niclosamide, ethanolamide, uh, we can call it NEN going forward. Cool. But Thank you. Basically, yeah, no problem. Um, but basically, this is a mitochondrial decoupler, which results in demethylation of DNA and also aids in neuroblastoma differentiation. So basically what that means is that it causes the mitochondria to become unhealthy. DNA in these cancer cells uh, doesn't work properly and, and it helps in treatment of neuroblastoma. But, but that's just a very, very brief uh, gist of what it does. But what our research uh, focused on with this was that we fed, uh, well, first we gave some mice uh, neuroblastoma in their adrenal glands. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a model for doing that, and we do a lot of experiments in the lab with this. And then after that, we measured these tumors uh, for growth. And once they met a size criteria, we fed them a diet, which contained either nothing or like a normal diet or mm -hmm. um, NEN. 
We then followed the tumors further after they were started on these diets. And then when they met a size criteria for euthanasia, the mice were euthanized. And then we looked at NEN concentrations and compared them among plasma and different tissues in the mouse. And then we also looked at you know, histological elements such as uh, formation of nucleoli, etc. So the results of this were that in mice that had gotten NEN, uh, we saw increased NEN concentration in the plasma, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then tumor concentration we saw was also relatively high. It was in between the liver and the kidney concentrations. Mm-hmm. But what's also really significant about these results is that the mice that had NEN in their diet, they displayed a significantly decreased rate of tumor growth. Ah. And then also... Uh, histologic elements, we saw less prominent nucleoli, and we saw a decreased NMIC uh, protein expression as well. So this research was just kind of looking at whether we could use a mitochondrial decoupler to slow the rate of neuroblastoma growth, and we were able to see that we could. That's very exciting. Um, I look forward to seeing you accept the award at the upcoming Clinical Congress. Thank you. You will be there, correct? Yeah, yeah, I will do <laughs> Well, I'm I'm a little concerned because you know you just went back to clinical life. Uh, you are a fourth year resident at the Valley Health System in Las Vegas. So, how is that going? How did you uh, end up at Stanford? And you know, what is it like going back to clinical life after a year in the lab? I have like a kind of a long history in the area. I grew up in Palo Alto. My I, I had like family that went to Stanford. After high school, I went to med school overseas in Pakistan. And then when I came back, while I was applying for residency, I knew I wanted to do surgery. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to people that I knew um, or like people that I wanted to get to know. And um, I got to know some people at Stanford. I did some research there before residency. And, uh, and I really enjoyed it. So then when it came time for me to look for uh, research positions during my training, mm-hmm. I, of course, looked back at Stanford again and I applied because I really enjoyed my previous experience working there. Awesome. So I was there for a year. Uh-huh. And then I came back to uh, Valley Health System as a fourth year resident. Um, it's been great. I enjoyed my year in research, but I also really, uh, really do enjoy my clinical work as well. Good. Um, so it, it's good being back. And my program is very supportive of my endeavors. Uh, they're very supportive of my research. They're looking forward to seeing me at uh, ACS as well. So I'm really looking forward to that in October. That's really wonderful. I'm curious, do you plan to go into pediatric surgery when you've completed your residency? Um, yeah, so I was very enthusiastic about pediatric surgery. I still respect the field a lot. I mm-hmm. enjoyed everything I did in that field for a variety of reasons. I decided I'm not going to pursue pediatric surgery. Okay. I enjoy general surgery. I might pursue something uh, like hepatobiliary, which I've always had a passion for as well. Oh, it makes sense with your interest in surgeon. That... Yeah. Very nice. All right. Well, um, I again look forward to seeing you uh, in San Diego. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Rachel. Appreciate it. And that brings us to the end of another episode. If you like Scrubcast, we hope you'll tell your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Scrubcast is a production of Stanford University's Department of Surgery. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Baker. 
The music is by Midnight Rounds. And our chair is Dr. Mary Hahn. <laughs>